Welcome to Mental Wealth, the podcast to invest in your mind. Here I will help you make sense of your mind and behaviours, giving you the tools to have your best life. There is so much to share, so let's get into this episode and explore another great topic. So welcome to episode 33. And in this episode, we are going to be focusing on men's health, on men's mental health, but also if you're a woman listening, we've got news for you as well. So it's very much, as all my episodes are, it's open to everybody. And I am delighted to say that I am sharing this space with an expert in this topic. And I'd like to welcome Ryan Park to the episode. Thank you so much, Alison. I'm really pleased to be here and really excited about our talk today. Brilliant. Me too. So I saw you speaking at an event called Be Inspired back in September last year. And I was really taken by what you were saying. So please tell everybody a little bit about who you are, and then we'll dive into what you like to talk about. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, Be Inspired was a really great event. That was Danny Wallace's event, and I was really honoured to be on the stage there. It was really fantastic. And my name is Ryan Park. I share the science of male mental health through talks, through workshops, and through coaching so that you never have to lose the men that you care about to suicide. That's really poignant, isn't it, is that preventative piece. And, and I know that you've got your own story behind why you got into this and we'd love to hear that first but I think just I think we've said it in the notes but just to remember that this session may well be quite difficult for some people to listen to so we just want to say that up front again just to remember that you know we we for me we need to talk about these things and you know we make no apology really that we're going to be talking about some what might be quite difficult to hear but actually we need to talk about it Completely agree. Yeah. So tell everyone a little bit, what got you into looking at male mental health? That's a lovely question, Alison. Essentially, it was something that happened, a pivotal moment in my life back in June 2019. Because in in that month, I remember I bumped into a lady who I hadn't seen in years. And I was really excited to hear the latest about her son, Brad. Because Brad, well, he was everything I wanted to be. He was taller than me, more muscular. Some would say slightly better looking. Hard to believe, I know, but a strong argument could have been made. But the important thing to know is that Brad had a fast car, a big house and a great job. Plus, he was a dad with a loving wife. And I like to think, Alison, that I was on the same trajectory as Brad, but I was just a couple of years behind because of the age difference. Yeah. Then I saw the look on his mum's face and I thought, oh, what have I said? How have I upset her? And she said, Ryan, you're asking me how Brad is. You don't know. Brad's killed himself. Now, I was really taken aback by that, Alison. The main reason I was taken aback by that is because up until that point, I'd always heard what we all hear, which is the reason why men have higher rates of suicide than women do is because men don't talk. And yet Brad was the most open and articulate man that I knew. In fact, I found out after he died that two years before his death, Brad went to the doctors and said, help, I think I'm depressed. I know I'm having thoughts about suicide. Brad's doctor did what doctors are supposed to do. Brad was referred to talking therapy and prescribed antidepressants. Brad attended talking therapy, took antidepressants, and two months before Brad's death, his mum, Jenny, who is a mental health practitioner, 
said, Brad, call me every night. Tell me how you feel. You've got to get these feelings off your chest. Now, I'm not suggesting these things didn't help, Brad. I'm sure they did. But what really struck with me at the time was here was a man who'd done all the things that we tell men in crisis to do, and yet he still wasn't here. And Brad's mum, Jenny, said to me, well, Ryan, you should learn about this because every five hours, four people die from suicide in the UK and Ireland. Three of them are men. In fact, a third of all suicides, deaths by suicide in the UK and Ireland are men aged 45 to 49. Jenny said, I used to think that male mental health was something that only affected men, but now as a mum who's lost her son, I realise that actually this is something that has the potential to affect everybody in the world. So when I learned that, I took what Jenny said really seriously. There and then I set aside one day every week from June 2019 until the end of the year to learn everything that I could about male mental health. I had no idea where to start because at the time I had no medical and no mental health background. And so I decided to start simply by asking big questions, assuming I knew nothing because I genuinely did know nothing about the subject and just reading scientific papers. And on the very, very first day of assuming I knew nothing, asking big questions, reading scientific papers, I was reading a study by an American doctor and it just happened to mention there is one day every year where heart attacks in men jump up by around 30%. And on the same day of the year, heart attacks in women go down by around 30%. Can you guess what day that is, Alison? Gosh, I'm sure everyone's trying to think what, what the answer to this is. I suppose Christmas is often a time that's seen as very stressful. So maybe I would say Christmas or, hmm, don't know, maybe early early in the new year. Here we are in early in, into January. Maybe it's early in the new year. Yep. So really good guesses. Um, just so you know, Christmas and the new year, there's a massive increase in heart attacks in men. But on those days, there's also an increase in heart attacks in women as well. Right. So we so, know it's stressful. <laughs> yep. So we know it's stressful. Really, really good guesses. But no, we're looking for a day where heart attacks go up in men and down in women. Do you want to have one more guess? Oh, up in men. So it must be something to do with pressure around. Maybe what about Valentine's Day? Good guess. Maybe if a man forgets Valentine's Day, that might cause a heart attack. Um, but no, it's not Valentine's Day, although that's I always hear that. So I think Valentine's Day is a stressful day for men. But the one day every year where heart attacks jump up in men by around 30 percent and go down in women by about 30 percent is the Monday after the clocks jump forward by one hour. So in the UK, that's when daylight savings time begins in March, when we miss one hour sleep. Yeah. And when I learned that, I had to know why. And it turns out that what happens in your body when you miss one hour's sleep depends upon whether you're biologically male or biologically female. In a male body, missing just one hour's sleep lowers a man's testosterone for days. And in a male body, as testosterone goes down, his chances of having a heart attack go up. Wow. And when I learned that, I remember thinking, that's really weird. 
because I was 29 at the time. And I remember thinking I had never heard anything good about testosterone my whole life. Mm. In fact, when I was a kid and there was a fight in my local pub, my mum's friends used to say, well, it's no wonder they ended up fighting. There was too much testosterone in the room. So I wondered, how can a hormone that causes fights in pubs protect men from having a heart attack? And I decided next week I've got to learn about testosterone. So the following week comes around. It's my next day of learning about male mental health. And the first question I wanted to answer just by reading scientific papers was, why does testosterone make men aggressive? And it turns out testosterone does not make men aggressive. That was disproved decades ago. Just unfortunately, the the PR hasn't caught up with the science. In fact, it's miles away on testosterone. So now I knew testosterone wasn't bad. My next question is, why does it protect a man's heart? And it turns out that not only does testosterone protect a man's heart, it also protects his mental health. You see, the average middle-aged man who is depressed has 33% less testosterone than the average middle-aged man who is not depressed. And then suddenly I was really interested because in 2019, the single biggest killer of men from the age of 18 to the age of 45 was suicide. Now suicide is the biggest killer of men from 18 to 50 because it keeps going up. But at the time it was 18 to 45. Suicide, especially in middle-aged men and depression in men of all ages is linked to having low testosterone. Then, yeah, and and it gets even more interesting, right? Because that year, the biggest killer of men from the age of 45 to 60 was heart disease. Heart disease, heart attack, and heart failure in men are all linked to having a low level of testosterone. So then I started to wonder, well, hold on a minute. If all the biggest killers of men from the age of 18 to 45, 45 to 60 are all based on having a low level of testosterone, what happens after the age of 60? And the biggest killer of men after the age of 60 in the UK is cancer. The most likely cancer that a man will be diagnosed with is prostate cancer. And Alison, can you guess what is the single biggest indicator that a man will be diagnosed with prostate cancer? Low testosterone or high t- the testosterone, isn't it? Yeah, it's low testosterone. testosterone yeah. In fact, the longer a man maintains a healthy level of testosterone, the less chance he'll ever get prostate cancer in his life. And as soon as a man has a low level of testosterone, his chances of developing prostate cancer go up by nearly three times. Now, I don't just speak about testosterone, but I always like to start with this story because it really demonstrates how in just two days of trying to understand this, I went from believing that really that testosterone was bad and that men just needed to talk to suddenly realizing that there's a lot more to male mental health than those two myths. And actually, I could see pretty quickly that testosterone is a hormone that underpins male mental health, physical health, and life expectancy. Unfortunately, not only are men not taught that, but worse, there is actually stigma associated with testosterone that prevents men from finding this useful information when they need it. Hence, the reason why you love to talk about this at any opportunity, I would imagine, because we do need to change what people are saying and doing. I think something something that kind of springs to my mind that kind of just thinking quite generally is 
is the the clocks and that whole season thing. You know, people often talk about that, don't they? But they're not ever really understanding what's underneath that. You know, they just sort of all feel out of sorts, don't they, when the clocks go whichever way. Some people struggle more the other way going into the winter and some people just find it difficult when they've lost them. But I think, again, it's just that light touch around, okay, you know, there's stuff going on. Yes. That that actually is affecting us, but we don't often pause and think what it is. We're just straight into the response or the emotional reaction. And clock changes are really interesting because it it kind of becomes a very reliable experiment each year. What happens when you have more or less sleep? So lots of people have found that the number of heart attacks doesn't seem to change when the clocks change. But that's because lots of studies don't divide by biological sex. They don't look at male and female heart attacks. What happens is in the spring... When we lose an hour's sleep, heart attacks jump up in men and go down in women. But in the autumn, when we gain an hour's sleep, heart attacks jump up in women and go down in men. Wow. So it's a really interesting example of how ignoring differences and how our biology affects us is dangerous. Because if I don't know as a man that I need to get that extra hour's sleep then I'm not going to get it. And it's the same way the other way around. I've never spoken to a woman who knows that getting that extra hour of sleep in August increases heart attacks in women. Crazy, crazy. And there's a bit of me that's thinking, oh gosh, are we just then giving all our men permission to have more sleep and and women have to do more and more and more? But we're not saying that, are we? No, we're absolutely not. And sleep is actually quite an interesting area because... So it's important to know that sleep is the single biggest factor when it comes to how much testosterone a man has in his body. But there are quite big differences on sleep, depending on whether you're male or female. So one thing that we know is obviously, you know, this missing an hour's sleep, you know, massively damaging to men. In fact, it's been found that missing one hour's sleep lowers a man's testosterone temporarily by the equivalent of 12 years of aging. So I'm 33, hard to believe, I know, but I had a very easy paper round. And if I missed one hour of sleep last night, today I'd have the same level of testosterone as a man who's 45 and got a good night's sleep. And if I missed two hours of sleep last night, today I'd have the same level of testosterone as a man who's 57 and got a good night's sleep. So it's not all about age when it comes to testosterone. In fact, age is not a big deal. There's five things that affect testosterone a lot more than age. And just one of them is sleep. Mm, Fascinating. Okay, so let's think then. So you've given us so much interesting statistics and information. And I'm sure for some people listening in, it is new information. Um, I think we're saying that it, it will be because it's not getting spoken about like this. But what I'm now interested in is, what can we all do? Because there's there's two angles of this, isn't there? We have got the males that we need to help and protect. Obviously, that's my main focus for today. But I'm also interested. I do a lot of work with couples and relationships. And sometimes, you know, it's knowing what each party needs to do to help each other, really. I think that would be something that I would love to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, that's 
A really, really great question, I think. So for men, I'd say that what you need to do is you need to understand the factors that influence testosterone. So shall I quickly run through what they are? Please. So single biggest thing that influences testosterone we know is sleep. Do you want to have a guess, Alison? What do you think the other big factors are that influence testosterone? Um, exercise. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I put exercise as number three on the list. Okay. Um, I would imagine something to do with stress levels, sort of how they're managing, how they're managing their kind of commitments workload. Yeah, so really, really good guess. Actually, the things that we're looking at, not only do they increase testosterone, but they also reduce stress. Okay, so it's not stress on its own. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of going a level deeper than that, but it's a really good guess. So the second biggest factor after sleep is food. Now, I use the word food rather than the word diet because often when men hear the word diet, they run away because they think I'm going to say you need to eat less. But actually what you eat is much more important than how much you eat. I often liken it a bit to like, imagine you're at the airport and you're picking up a hire car and you get the keys and you say, brilliant, what fuel do I need to put in it? And imagine they said, doesn't matter what fuel you put in, just make sure it's 30 liters. And that's what we do when we count calories in a diet. It's quite ridiculous actually, because the thing that matters the most is what's going into our body, not how much of it there is. And for men, what's important to know is For a healthy level of testosterone, men have to eat a a decent amount of homemade food. So not takeaways, not restaurant food, not even the things you put in the oven that come out of a box. It's real homemade food and plenty of green vegetables. So green vegetables contain lots of things in them that act as bodyguards inside a man's blood and protect the testosterone that his body makes. So it lasts for longer, which means he has higher levels over time. Okay, so I guess that one we might say would be for everyone in a way, wouldn't it? But what you're saying is the science says it's even more important for the for men to have it. Yeah, and, and actually, if we were to look at sort of the female hormone side of things, which I'm definitely never pretend to be an expert on, but I think, a, you know, a good understanding is important for everyone. Um, so actually, lots of the information that's coming out now shows that in order to make sure that you have the minimal symptoms when it comes to like perimenopause and menopause, you know, what's really important is the way that you've lived and looked after yourself through your twenties, thirties, and forties, because if you've eaten lots of whole foods, lots of greens, and if you've not got most of your energy from carbohydrates, then you're going to have a lot less symptoms when it comes to perimenopause than people who don't exercise or people who eat a lot of carbohydrates and sugar. Uh, Interesting. So we've got the food element, then we come to exercise, which is so vital to know about because actually an enormous analysis that came out this year, it looked at how 130,000 adults had been treated for depression, for stress and anxiety. And this analysis found that exercise is one and a half times more effective than medication and one and a half times more effective than talking therapy when it comes to dealing with depression, with stress and with anxiety. And this is vital to know because if you have a friend who like Brad goes to see their doctor because they're feeling stressed, depressed, or maybe having thoughts about suicide, if their doctor follows the current guidelines at the moment in the UK, then your friend will leave the appointment with a referral to talking therapy and a prescription for antidepressants 
but they still might not know that the single most important thing, the most effective thing they can do is something that has no waiting list, no side effects, no cost. It's just to get on some decent shoes and do something active outside. Yeah, I love that. Last week's episode was with Lucy Gossard and she is a, a cancer specialist and she is uh, all into movement. So she's a 12 times triathlete champion. Wow. Yeah. And she has developed a move against cancer. It's a five way, 5K your way. And again, that's getting everyone out moving, regardless of your age, your your physical condition. It's just getting moving. And she was really um, keen to talk about how she, as a doctor, she does promote that. So uh, I hear you from maybe some general practitioners, but for her particularly, she is all about that. So you'll uh, have to listen to that one. I will. That's really fantastic. It's music by ears. And there's more and more information now coming out that really says that, you know, lots of the troubles that humans experience health wise, they're so interrelated that that it actually makes more sense to see cancer in particular as a metabolic disease rather than a genetic disease. Yeah. Because because the genes don't influence people as much as, as our lifestyles, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, good. So we've got two more to, to decipher. Yep, cool. So we've got the next one on the list is after you've got your sleep, your food and your exercise, the next one's actually vitamin D. Okay. Now, vitamin D, specifically D3, but you don't need to remember that. All you need to remember is, it's the steroid that our body makes from being in the sun. Now, in the summer, just 10 minutes of midday sun would be enough for a healthy level of vitamin D in most people. But in the winter, when the sun's behind clouds and when we cover up more, you'd actually need around two hours of midday sun for a healthy level of vitamin D. Now, this is a bit problematic because vitamin D is a key ingredient for testosterone in men. Men with low levels of vitamin D also have low levels of testosterone. Mm. The NHS um, say it's very, very safe for most adults to supplement vitamin D, especially from when the clocks change. So, you know, now basically it changed back in november but now in the new year you know all the way through to spring when the clocks change back the nhs say it's safe to take around 10 micrograms a day in supplements and and actually modern research says you can take more than that you can take about 25 micrograms a day is recommended and that's recommended for most people actually unless you have a job where you're outside for a couple of hours at noon and then As soon as I saw that list of key ingredients for a healthy level of testosterone in men, I remember thinking, oh, crap, because, you know, I knew Brad and I know that, yeah, he did all the things that we tell men to do. He went to the doctors. He took antidepressants. He attended talking therapy. He called his mum every night to tell her how he felt. But nobody that Brad spoke to knew enough about male mental health to realize that he was actually working so hard that I knew him well enough to know that sleep, homemade food, exercise, and sunshine, they just weren't on Brad's list of priorities. And I came to realize at the time they weren't on mine either. And that trying to be a man is something that kills a lot of men. I think that's really powerful, isn't it? Statement. And obviously, like you say, for you personally, it comes from a real place of knowing how hard that was. But I, you know, again, I hope that people listening in can share this with anyone that they think needs to hear it because that's the ultimate 
goal for me and I'm sure for you as well, Ryan. Yeah, 100%. So there's one more factor we need to mention. And then I'd like to say, if you're not a man, how do you use this information to support the men that you care about? So the other factor that we need to talk about is alcohol, because each alcoholic drink lowers a man's testosterone by the equivalent of around six years of aging. Now, it's only temporary, but it is significant and it lasts for days. So what we have here is we have to realize that alcohol lowers testosterone in men. Men with low testosterone are depressed. And what do depressed men like to do? Drink. Absolutely. <laughs> and while I'm not saying that no one should drink, what I am saying is it's important to be aware of this relationship because the myths that surround testosterone actually make people think that drinking alcohol raises testosterone. You know, you hear a lot about testosterone fueled drinking environments. And so this is something that I'd say to anyone who's not a man and wants to help the boys and the men in their life is please don't propagate any myths about testosterone being associated with violence, with aggression, with bad behavior in general, because actually testosterone in men is proven to be associated not only with better mental health, physical health and life expectancy, but also with calmness, with fairness and treating people in a more equitable way as well. And I think something I'd like to just say there is I've got previous experience working in the drug and alcohol fields for a long time in the NHS. And, you know, that myth again about what alcohol does to anybody, but it was always particularly men, not to use it as an excuse that I got violent because I'd had a drink or I got, you know, because that's that's not okay. You know, that's not how we used to work when I worked in that field, you know, they didn't hit everybody on the way home, but, but they might have gone home and done something to their partner. And that was the always the argument. And I think it's important to say, which is a slight an aside, but it is important to remember the responsibility that everyone has about how they behave when they are drinking or not drinking or feeling aggressive and feeling angry what are you going to do about it it's so so important isn't it to not to not blame the the thing and actually take responsibility for yourself especially because it was the adult who chose to drink the thing in the first place yeah exactly so something that i want men to be aware of is that not only does alcohol lower testosterone but it also raises a chemical in our brain called noradrenaline which is the word adrenaline, but with NOR in the beginning. Now, noradrenaline is associated with aggression. It is associated with violence. It is also associated with PTSD. And so what happens when you're male and you drink alcohol is you actually increase your tendency to react in an aggressive way. Unfortunately, men don't know this because we're brought up to believe that testosterone makes men aggressive. So it's hard for men to know about and correct these things if they're not even aware of the mechanisms that underpin them. But yet alcohol does make some men behave in a much more aggressive way than when they're sober. So choosing to drink it means you're, you are responsible for that behavior. Yeah. And I think for me, any alcohol and, and some substances, whatever you're feeling. So if you're feeling a bit low and then you go and have a drink because you're feeling a bit low, what alcohol for most people does is it just amplifies the feeling that you had before you started. So if you're feeling quite jolly and you have a few drinks, then you'll continue to feel jolly. If you feel low, you're going to just 
amplify that feeling. And I think that's the myth as well, isn't it? That we think the drink's going to take it all away. And actually, really, the reality is it just makes you feel worse or you just head in the same direction that you were in anyway. My grandma used to say, there's no bad situation that a drink won't make worse. <laughs> good saying. Yeah, really good saying. So we've got the situation where one of the hormones that's radically misunderstood at the moment when it comes to man mental health is testosterone. And I think that is genuinely costing us lives, especially because it's, it's actually important to know that in the Western world, testosterone is declining quite rapidly every year in men. So I do a lot of work to maintain my levels of testosterone to make sure they're healthy. But I still, as a healthy 33-year-old man, have lower levels of testosterone than 60-year-old men did in the 1980s. Okay. And so while there's lots of information out there about the importance of things like getting men talking, which is very important. We're going to talk about that in a second. But in the meantime, what's being completely overshadowed is the fact that we are facing an emergency when it comes to mental health, physical health and life expectancy in men, which is this vital hormone is decreasing throughout the Western world. And no one's paying any attention to that because lots of people believe that testosterone is bad. Good. I think it's really thought provoking this conversation. Uh, Hence the reason why I wanted you to come and share this with us. Well, I'm so, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. So I think we've hinted a couple of times, haven't we? We need to then think about how can we help each other, really? How can men help women and women help men in these situations? Because for me, you know, I, I can see a shift, which is a positive shift in the nearly 30 years I've been working in this field, that a lot more men do come. Uh, do book sessions now you know when I first started it there wasn't very many at all I'll be honest and there is a lot more men who even though I know you're saying it's not just about talking I still think there has been a shift I've seen a shift anyway in my my practice with the sort of things and the sort of people that come forward and I would say it's probably 50 50 in terms of that now so even though I know what you're going to share with us is a little bit more about not forcing men to talk, but there is a but, it, there is a shift. And I'm, you know, I'm pleased to see that men do come forward. They don't feel as, as ashamed as they maybe used to, you know, this whole shift of big boys don't cry and all that, you know, I think there is less of that, but it's still there as well, isn't it? Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. There's been a really, really big shift. So if we look at, um, data from you know the BACP British yep. Association yeah cool lovely so according to the BACP 79% of men agree it's more acceptable to talk about mental health than it was just five years ago and that's good news that means we're moving in the right direction 68% of men agree there's less stigma associated with mental health than there was just five years ago more good. Good. between 2010 and 2022 Therapy use in men in the UK increased by 50%. And I don't mean objective therapy use, which would go up if the population increased. I mean, the rate of men attending talking therapy increased by 50%. Yeah, which I would say in my practice, that's what I've seen literally in the in the time I've been doing this, which is almost the same as what you're saying nationally, which is good. That's fantastic. But then the important thing to know is that in the same time that all those markers have moved in the right direction, 
between 2010 and 2022, when we've seen that 50% increase in use of therapy, we've also seen an 11% increase in deaths by suicide in men. And, and again, these are rates. So I'm not talking about the figures gone up as the population's grown. I mean, men are now more likely to die by suicide. Now, the important thing is the reason why I pull these stats together, I want to say what I'm trying to say and what I'm not trying to say. What I'm not trying to say is that doing what we're doing at the moment in terms of encouraging men to talk, addressing stigma and referring men to talking therapy, I'm not trying to say that that's a problem or that it isn't working, 100%. Yeah. The reason why I pull these together is because there are lots of different reasons why people attend talking therapy. And while it's been shown that it's phenomenally effective for things like PTSD and effective for things like depression, it's actually also been shown that talking therapy is not, and you know, I'm sure you'll be familiar with this as well, but talking therapy doesn't actually address the factors associated with thoughts about suicide in men, according to the Samaritans. Now it does for women. There's evidence that it does for women. So then we come to the situation where it's like, well, how could that be? And actually there's a really interesting biological element to this, which explains a lot of the differences, not only in terms of what people say, but in terms of what people see in life as well. Yeah. So it comes down to another hormone and this hormone is called oxytocin. Oxytocin is often referred to as being the cuddle hormone or the love hormone, even though it's got nothing to do with love in men. It's still referred to as the love hormone. And the reason is most of what you've heard oxytocin does, that's its effects on women. So, for example, oxytocin is released in everyone when we touch, cuddle, hold hands or talk about how we feel. Now, in mammals, and we are a mammal, oxytocin in females lowers stress. This means if you're female, if you're a, if you're a woman, then you might know from your life experience that touching, cuddling, holding hands and expressing your emotions lowers your stress. But it's also important to know that oxytocin doesn't lower stress in male mammals. This means that if you're a man, you might have experienced that touching, cuddling, holding hands and talking about how you feel doesn't actually lower your stress on its own. Mm, That's the critical thing, isn't it? It's that on its own. Exactly. Yeah. So what I believe from the work that I, that I do, that I do in my coaching practice, from the research that I've done, from the organizations that I work with is that talking is vital for everybody. But what we have to know, and it's quite a nuanced point is that for men talking alone is not sufficient it definitely is the first step that men need in terms of opening up and and expressing the problems they have because in order to find solutions you need to talk and then just as important or maybe even more importantly is after that talking men need to know what to actually do about the problems in their life and i think that's the difference i see ryan is is you know men much more sort of solution focus, problem focus. I mean, I've changed my practice. I don't do anywhere near as much kind of therapy work as I do more kind of very practical. Okay, whatever's happened, let's see how we can move forward. And I do that for everyone because I believe that's actually what we need more of now. But I think that's definitely, in my experience, what men prefer is, okay, I've got this problem. What can I do? Rather than I need to talk about it. I just need to know what am I doing? Move me forward, get, get get a focus, get something very specific sorted out. Absolutely. 
And this can cause a big miscommunication because because of how oxytocin affects us differently, it can cause women to believe that men just need to talk because their lived experience might be when I talk about it, I feel better and he's not talking. Therefore, that's the reason he doesn't feel better. Yeah, yeah. But it can also cause men to think that women don't need to talk. So then they don't spend, they, they don't do things with their partner that releases oxytocin. And this is if you've ever heard the idea of sort of like quality time with your partner. Sometimes men don't quite get, I never used to get what is quality time. And then I realized that it's time that releases oxytocin, which makes my partner feel special. It makes my wife, Emma, feel less stressed. But because oxytocin doesn't de-stress me, there was never any difference for me between turning up in real life or sending a text. Mm-hmm. One's quality time because it releases oxytocin. Sending a text doesn't release oxytocin. A test's been done. Mm-hmm. But because men don't know that, we might think a text is as appropriate as a phone call or as turning up because we don't have oxytocin as a big factor in our lives. And you can see this. I mean, I said before, I've done a lot of work with relationships. I've written a relationship book. And so much comes from just the differences in terms of how we are and how we process. You know, women feel that you need to talk about everything. Men then just jump into fix it mode and are looking for a solution. And she doesn't want you to do that. She just wants you to listen. And then he gets frustrated because I can't listen to this again. We've got to go and find a solution. And, that you know, you can see certainly for male and female relationships how this uh, chemical imbalance or not imbalance, sorry, chemical reaction almost in itself is just part of the conflict in terms of the relationship in itself. Yeah, I often refer to it. I I did a workshop for an uh, amazing mental health charity back in December. Um, They're called the Ollie Foundation. And I created a workshop for them because they wanted to take the lessons from my coaching program and turn it around so it could be a useful tool for women to communicate with men. And the name of the workshop was called Mums with Sons. And we basically looked at those different communication styles. Actually, one of the things we looked at is a really interesting experiment where um, couples went through a stress test, which involved hands in cold water. You got to look at a TV screen. If you say anything, then someone dressed as a scientist would make a note that you'd violated the rules. So it was a situation designed to stress men and women out. And what the test was actually interested in was how did oxytocin affect men and women differently? So some of the participants cuddled, they were given the opportunity to cuddle their partner before the stress test and some were not. And what the, what this experiment found, and it's one of those where you sometimes see the experiment and you're like, wow, this, this is quite an evil experiment. But, but in a way, you know, there was a useful lesson and no one got hurt, but you know, it was an unpleasant stress test. So what was found is that if women were given a cuddle before the stress test, not only was the cuddle more powerful than the stress test. So when the stress test finished, they had less cortisol than before the stress test. But also the slight stress that they felt afterwards had all dissipated within 25 minutes if they had a cuddle. So the cuddle was an enormously powerful way to reduce stress in women because it releases oxytocin. Now, the men without a cuddle were much more stressed than any of the women in the experiment because stress hormones are much greater in males than females. But what's really interesting is the men who had a cuddle before the stress test 
were more stressed than the men who didn't have a cuddle and the stress lasted significantly longer. In fact, the cutoff was 25 minutes because that's the way the experiment was designed. And all the men were still significantly stressed after 25 minutes. So afterwards, they realized they should have made the experiment longer because the stress lingered for so long in the men who'd had a cuddle. It's incredible, isn't it? I talk a lot about love languages as well. You know, what one person would would see as a, something really nice to do, uh, ticking a box, if you like is different to the next and it you know again you talk about cuddles you talk about doing things taking action you know you might some people like gifts it's all these different things that make people's relationships work and actually some of those things just are because of the way as you're saying and I often talk about you know the way that we're wired that the difference is I often literally will say you know we are different species even as trained as I am to read people and listen to unconscious clues and things, you know, men are, they are different beings. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's okay. You know, I think the reason why I like these conversations is because I genuinely believe that men benefit from understanding things like periods, menstrual cycles, menopause. It's important for men to understand those things, even if they will personally never experience them themselves. But on the flip side of that, I think that having this conversation, it actually benefits women as well to understand their sons, husbands, dads, friends better. And actually, I think I don't want to underplay the fact that there's massive inequalities in the world. Lots of those inequalities are between men and women. Lots and lots of them are. There are stereotypes and there's discrimination. And I come from a place where I'm a straight white male. And I don't want to play down how much privilege that's given me. I hope, though, that what we can do is rather than minimizing differences, I hope we get to a point where we're all treated equally and we can actually step back and admire and celebrate the differences rather than pretend that the differences aren't there. Because I don't think that helps anyone. I think having an understanding, you know, we can't be each other on any level even women to women, you know, we men to men, you can't be. We. I'm a big fan of being unique and not trying to mind read and get into other people's spaces. But I think there is a lot of wealth in just taking a step and trying to understand, be a bit more sort of curious about what it might be like instead of jumping to a conclusion or making something up. I mean, on a slightly separate note, I remember once, a client came to me and she was very heavily pregnant and she wanted uh, to talk about ending her marriage because her husband didn't understand what it was like for her to be pregnant. And just even once she'd said all that out loud with me, just to realise what she was actually asking of him was impossible. Yeah. And, and for her to just realise that she just needed to communicate more and let him know what she what he needed. She needed to be very clear on what she needed from him, because her hoping that he might work out what she needed while she was pregnant was never going to happen. And and needless to say, they didn't split up. And she obviously went home and they had a different kind of conversation. But just the realization that you can't. She was expecting him to understand, and and I think that's where a lot of conflict comes from in all sorts of areas, but particularly between men and women, but also, you know, same, same sex things as well. We expect that we know, or we hope that somebody else is going to know what we are feeling and what we're thinking. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I, I always think it's all about being in sync. It's not necessarily about having the same goals, the same experiences, but it's about, you know, deliberately understanding one another, what each other needs, and then actively trying to give it to the other person. That's what it's all about. And I refer to that as being in